HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian sitting areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when their travels bring them to Washington. For more information, visit www.tabardinn.com. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. So we have had photographers on in the past. I myself am a photographer. We've had uh, photo editors. We've had an array of people that contribute to the finished product of a cookbook. And a lot of people know the chefs. A lot of people know the writers, even though they're ghostwriters sometimes. A lot of people know the photographers, or at least I hope they do. Um... But a lot of people don't know who the designers are. So I'm lucky enough to have two very talented ladies on today, uh, Laura Polisi and Amy Sly. Amy, you with us? Hi. Excellent. Amy's calling in from work. She couldn't get out of the office. But uh, we won't tell your coworkers that you're taking a conference call. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hey, Amy. <laughs> Hi, Laura. I was lucky enough to actually work with Laura on the Clinton Street Baking Company cookbook. Indeed. And met both Laura and Amy in person because usually designers aren't, uh, are just a figment of photographers' imagination when it comes to cookbooks <laughs> at the Clinton Street Baking Company uh, launch party. Now, both Laura and Amy have a parallel background in their progression. Both studied, you know, like fine arts photography, worked as photojournalists and photo editors prior to going to design. Um, Amy right now, who works at, what is it, Clarkson Potter? Clarkson Potter with Random House, yeah. Excellent. And Amy used to work for Random House and now, uh, I mean, works freelance for the majority of things. Um, I mean, we're going to dive right into it. One, 
since you guys were both photographers, photo editors first, how much does that help dealing with photography in the layout of a cookbook? Actually, I think I was the only one who studied photography. Oh, Laura okay. started yeah. out as more of a I fine just art background. I copied and pasted <laughs> twice, I guess. <laughs> <Maybe> so, <laughs> Laura actually comes to us from the fancy um, Yale as oh. an art history oh, very major. Fancy. <laughs> she doesn't like to brag about it too much because you know it intimidates people to know that she went there. But well, the it, truth is, it mostly just means I had no idea what a font was yeah. st- until I started working at Random House, which which is the truth. Yeah. So, and I was about to say, it's in Connecticut. <laughs> I mean, really, can you be intimidated by New Haven? That's a really good point. (laughs) So, Amy, with you having that photo background, how important or how uh, influential has it been to how you work with photographs and cookbooks? Well, I think think a lot of designers probably start in different places. And for me, um, I take huge cues from the photography. Um, And so when I see the photography, I then choose fonts and colors and things based on sort of like what I see there. But I think also it helps for... These are all skills that anyone could learn, but coming in, I think I had kind of an innate sense of, like, how to run a photo shoot or what kind of was needed of me when I was on set with a photographer and could kind of say, like, oh, we need to add more light here or there. So I think that was pretty helpful coming in, but, you know, working at Random House, we all sort of are trained to go on set as our directors of shoots. Um, But, yeah, I think think it just kind of, to get that start and to come in helped, I sort of start my designs based on photos. I probably lean on them a little more heavily yeah. than maybe other designers. Well, let me let me also tell our listeners of you know this great array of cookbooks you've worked on: Karen Damasco's Craft of Baking, so Tom, fun. Tom Calicchio's Witchcraft, multiple Rachel Ray's, um, that Undecorate magazine by the founder of Dwell Studio, which I've looked at and it's pretty awesome. Awesome, yes, it and is. Then Laura's worked on you know from Clinton Street Baking Company to Baby Cakes, uh, Gail Gans Brunch, Taste of Absinthe, all by Clarkson Potter. Um, most recently, Gwyneth Paltrow's My Father's Daughter cookbook. Mm-hmm. So there's some pedigree here. I just don't want <laughs> yeah, to think Laura that. Laura would be like, oh, I have to go meet with Gwyneth today. Yeah. You know. <laughs> that, that was just that one time, though. She's just so that fancy. One, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I, do, I find it fascinating that you actually were on set and got to interact uh, with the photographers. Laura, did you have that same... I, I, um, when I was working, I did work at Clarkson Potter. That's actually how I know the amazing Amy Sly. Um, when I, when I first started out, um, and I did, I, I was actually an assistant to the creative director before I became a designer, hence the not knowing what a font is. And, um, she was the creative director. Mary Sarah Quinn was really good about letting me go on set because exactly what Amy said you you learn a ton just from yeah. seeing the process seeing how the food is made you know I had no idea what food styling entails and for all the shoots that I've been on you know you eat the food right afterwards you're you're there to sort of you know the photographer usually knows exactly what they're doing but um, if you want to talk about where you might see type being laid out or things like that, it's just really good to have your head yeah. sort of in that space, um, watching it all happen. So yeah, I've, I've been really fortunate. I haven't been on a shoot in a while, to be honest. Um, I mean, you didn't hang out with Gwyneth and I did, I unfortunately, yeah. I did not get to hang out with Gwyneth, but to Amy's point before, for me, the same thing, the, the photography very often dictates, the book in the case of Clinton Street, you know, Michael having shot the photography. Um, Can you hear me blushing? <laughs> yeah. And it's beautiful. It is so beautiful. You know, it's it depends on how it looks. If it's quiet and calm and serene, or if it's the colors are you know brighter and bolder or whatever. It it. I mean, I definitely like to tip my hat and let the photographs 
do the do the he- heavy lifting unless it's a different kind yeah. of book. Now, know? is this are these different visual cru- uh, clues? Like Laura actually worked with a prior guest on the show, Douglas Riccardi from Memo Design, um, on a whole bunch of married tally books, pizza and mozza uh, collateral, as well as uh, schnippers, uh, you know, signage, etc. Now, do companies like that give you the information before to assemble? So you're not actually working off base photographs. You're working off this initial idea. Um, and it's not like imagery in front of you where you just drop your idea on top. Yeah, of. it's it's it is really different. I I I worked at Memo um, for a little over a year and Douglas knows everything about the restaurant biz he, and fonts and fonts. <laughs> he um, I'm sure. Yeah, he you know, he designed Helen Hardy from. From, the, from scratch and the, the people who I worked on a number of projects when I was with him but I was lucky enough to start right when he was starting working on Schnippers and yeah. it just so happens that the it was actually being built they were just starting construction and the restaurant was a few blocks around the corner from our office so I got to go and be there and it's it's very true it's really different from book design where you're sort of given you kind of know usually a chef or an author has like a you just know from their vibe and the way the material is written, where is it when you're working on a restaurant project? I mean, the same is sort of true. You know, it was a, a burger joint. They wanted certain things. You know, they wanted to convey a certain feel. But you, you, it's definitely getting to watch and be part of that process of, like, having lots and lots of discussions with the client going, there's probably more back and forth yeah. trying to figure out what it is they want. But yeah, that was a, a fantastic learning experience. Yeah. So speaking of back and forth, I know, Amy, you work you know, for Clarkson Potter and Laura works freelance. Are there a lot of submissions of designs before getting picked? Um, I know Laura has to deal with that more so, but Amy, are there a whole bunch of designers on your team? And do certain ones get certain cookbooks because of their style? Definitely, yeah. I think for each list we have, depending on which season it is, there's like between 10 and 15 books a list. And I usually get about three, and my art director and my creative director meet beforehand and decide who would be a good fit for what. And based on my style, I have sort of like a fresh, modern, clean, I guess, aesthetic. And so they tend to give me books that sort of lend toward that or maybe like a younger feel. Um, And you also kind of get a pick off of the list. Um, So, yeah, every, every one of us sort of has a style that comes through and and they try and pair us up with cool. And what kind of up, respond to what upcoming uh, upcoming titles are you actually working on? Um, well, we, we're in like phases of a whole bunch of books. Undecorate has just been printed, but it's not out yet. So, um, and I'm checking proofs on a number of books from the last season, um, which right now I can't even think of the names. <laughs> of. <laughs> Close them all out. Um, but I did just go through the, the baby cakes one for Laura because. <laughs> That was her title. But um, right now, we're mostly working on concepts for covers and um, interior spreads for books that are about to start being made into dummies. So I'm working on this Serious Eats blog cookbook, and we're going through. Yeah, it's been so fun. Um, We're going through covers right now, trying to get one that can be printed in our catalog um, and doing interior spreads. And I'm working on a book called Hers, which is an interior decorating book about kind of adding feminine touches to spaces. Um, so yeah, and um, I'm also working on a casserole cookbook by the Austin Casserole Queens. The, a casserole cookbook by the Austin Casserole Queens. Yeah, they're um, they're two women who started a, a casserole delivery business in Austin, and they've written a, a whole book on casseroles. It's so pretty funky. That that <laughs> is cool. pretty. So, 
what kind of topics do you guys find yourself gravitating towards uh, when it comes to cookbooks? Do you look for casseroles and you're like, that's my bag? <laughs> <laughs> or do you look for celebrities like Gwyneth and say, I'm going to sidle up my oh, I, I yeah. only work with the celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I only work with Gwyneth. Um, well, I, I'm, you know, actually, <laughs> Gwyneth is actually the only celebrity. <laughs> Full disclosure, radio audience, <laughs> never actually worked for. But I mean, as a freelancer, you know, there's of course the practicality of taking taking what's out there, yeah, um, to a certain extent. But I think for me, and I, I don't know if Amy feels the same way, but it's it's the most fun. I mean, what she was saying before about people, you know, you having a certain style, like I, especially in publishing books work on a you know a pretty cyclical and similar schedule so most of my clients around the same time of year will be will come back to me and they kind of I've been working with most of them for years now so they sort of know what my style is so like Amy was saying before you know they're going to give me they'll give me a certain title probably yeah based on what they know I can probably or hopefully do well but but I I actually for me getting to work on a totally different project is probably the most fun because I you know getting to stretch the way that I work and having someone or having a good friend, Amy and I are actually really good friends who works in the same industry as you do. And we, we have sort of different styles. It's great to be able to, I'll often be like, Amy, what do you think of this font? Or can you please yeah. give me an awesome sans serif font? Cause I'm really bad at you, you know, like, and so that's really good. So Amy is fresh young. <laughs> what, what are your descriptors? <laughs> Old, stodgy. Old, yeah. crappy. Yeah. No, um, Laura actually, no. <laughs> is she just, coming from not knowing what a font was, she's actually really amazing at, like, choosing and pairing fonts. Like, she's always surprising me with, like, where the heck did you find that? And she's really good at, I think, doing funky kind of, like, stuff that, like, stretches. Like, I'm really restrained and, like, sort of mathematical in the way I put a page together, but yeah. Laura is really loose and does, like, layering. And I think I would say that. Ah. Yeah. what would you say laura <laughs> no that that's fine i i do love me a good font michael yeah. i do no I, I i i would agree with amy i i i'm definitely not um you know i'm i wouldn't describe my style as clean i i i do sort of like to kind of jumble things together and layer them and i i, it's, I usually have a process of paring down you know sometimes the last book I did, actually, the, the Gwyneth Paltrow book, I told myself I was only going to use one font, which was big deal for me. Yeah. Big deal. <laughs> usually it's at least four or five. So it's for me, it's usually a process of and pairing, which font pairing was down. It? Oh, the, it was tribute. You gotta love it. Yeah. So many styles. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that. I, I like using like textures and things that have sort of an older feel. Um, you know, I like more retro fonts or I like archive fonts, things that are redrawn from old type type specimens and stuff like that. You did the new turn in the South, right, Laura? I did. That's a, that's a book that I'm working on now. Yeah. That's, that's a, so cool. Oh, Explain you. the typography on that one. Cause that's not, that's not standard. Please, please. Yes. Oh, well, that I, that is a perfect example of being really psyched about working with an author. It's a, a chef. His name is Hugh Atchison. Um, He's based in Georgia, and he he and his photographer, who's also kind of a designer, when they submitted their proposal, it was almost all hand-drawn topography, a lot of um, sort of weird ephemera and clip art and papers, just like totally right up my alley. And you don't always get that with a cookbook, because yeah. this is a perfect example of, you know, the photography is working hand-in-hand hand with the rest of the stuff. In fact, it kind of takes a backseat to the to the you know the 
sort of hand-drawn quality. And it, it's great. I mean, it feels really homey, and it was really fun to work on. I got to pull out some weird clips <laughs> of fish and put them places and stuff like that. So, so it's almost reading a diary rather than reading an instruction manual. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it, it feels more like a primer. You know, you're sort of, like, getting in there, and it's all about the the amazing sort of southern feel and it's it's good yeah good good example amy yeah well done well done yeah i just had the serious eats one i think is one of those click ones for me too where i was like i got to play so much with just like topography and like i love their blog already so that was like coming into it i would kind of like got who they were and like played so much and and they loved it and like you know it was just one of those marriage things that, that doesn't always happen sometimes there are a lot more rounds of revisions where editors give you like four adjectives that all seem like they <laughs> kind of contradict each other yeah. and then say go and you're like really and that's why oftentimes photography can give you such a clue because when you have you know like old-fashioned modern <laughs> you know like put together in in one kind of like concept brief you're like wow where do i go with that but See, uh was the series eats just dealing with ed or do you deal with the many voices of the website itself the um, author byline is actually Ed Levine and the editors of SeriousEats.com. Cool. So. Uh, Kenji from the Food Lab of Serious Eats was actually on the show before. I heard that, though, and that was so fun. He's, he's fascinating, and it's a completely different approach. And, you know, Ed's more taste-driven sometimes, and Kenji is more the science of taste-driven. So did you have fun dealing with all the different, you know, uh, kind of visions of the editors of Serious Eats? I think um, I haven't read the entire manuscript yet, um, but there I think it's more of Ed's tips for things, and then it's sort of like a collection of all of the best sort of barbecue places or best pizza places in in the country. So I think it's calling information from the website, but it is more about Ed's Ed's voice. Excellent. Well, I think I, Amy, I, I don't know if it's a little off topic, but I think she would be the perfect person to ask about working with different, you know, voices because on the side, you know, yeah. in all of her free time, she's an art director for an awesome literary magazine. And, you know, one of, I think, aside from being a fantastic designer, Amy is amazing at, like, having her (laughs) finger on, like, she's constantly commissioning illustrators and artists and stuff and working with the editors. So I think just that's a, you know, a totally different skill, you know, being able to sort of put all of that together and, like, seeing the vision of a piece as not only your own design, but how to, you know, sort of take the artistic yeah, well, like how to delegate in the best of ways to make yeah. yourself seem better. Yeah, yeah, like I think Lori even touched on that earlier about like when we're at a shoot, we don't, we're not like standing around being like, you do that, move that there, because you let everybody do what they're good at, you know. Yeah. And so if you find the people who are really good at what they do, like a great food stylist or a great photographer, like the Ellen Silverman shot, The Craft of Baking, and I was basically there to eat stuff and say, <laughs> maybe move that to the left a little bit so I could put type there. Yeah. But when you have really good teams of people, like you don't need to do anything really, you know, yeah. like your job is set up for you. So that's, not- that's great when you can when you can get all the right people together on one project yeah, like I- you guys had for Clinton Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, like with uh, Ellen with a uh, uh, Craft of Baking, every once in a while we're like, oh, that's not right at all. Let me have that cookie. Exactly. Yeah. That's our only no, rule. dangerously so. They were more just like, "Here's an entire table of, uh, you know, brittle and scones. Please take them with you." And you're like, ah. "Oh yeah, Clint's treat was. You want another pancake? Yeah. Oh, I've never eaten as many cookies as I ate at that oh lunch party. That yeah. wasn't pretty. Can we talk about brookies for a second? Oh <laughs> Brownie and a cookie making love. Incredible. Yeah, Incredible. I think I need to devote a whole show just to the brookie itself. You definitely yeah. do. So, yeah. But on that note, we're going to take a quick break and talk about the boring stuff, programs and workflow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. 
following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to The Naturalist every Monday at 12 p.m. Bernie Wides, a.k.a. The Naturalist, is a walking encyclopedia of history, biology, geography, and a whole host of other words ending in Y. The Naturalist is his platform to make you just a little bit smarter every week, covering an enormous breadth of topics from animal life to prehistoric New York. Let Bernie's dulcet voice and razor-sharp intellect guide you through 30 minutes of pure, unadulterated knowledge. Co-hosted by Carol Butler. Again, that's every Monday at 12 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with cookbook designers Laura Palesi and Amy Sly. Amy, you still with us? Hi, I'm here. Hi. I, I didn't tell you that during that break, you wouldn't be able to talk to us for that <laughs> one minute. I'm silent of this. Yeah. <laughs> Just take a break. You've heard enough from us. Um, yeah, the boring stuff, programs, workflow. <laughs> it's not boring, though, for people trying to get into design or cookbook Good design. Point. That, you know, what programs do you use uh, once you get all the imagery in to actually l- contextually lay out a cookbook? Amy, you want to take this one? Um, well, we have the, the whole creative suite um, on our desktops at work. Um, the, the big starting point is InDesign. Like, that's where we do all of our paging and, you know, designing um, Illustrator is also really handy to sort of like try out different flourishes or and you bring those elements sort of into into InDesign. Um, we use Photoshop most primarily. The images come to us from the photographers pretty ready to go, but if you're doing a cover design or something, you'll often need to like lighten an area or clone some area to kind of make room for type. Um, and I use Bridge at work, but Lightroom at home to sort sort images and um, kind of star them and keep track of like what my selections are because you can make contact sheets really easily from bridge but InDesign is the workhorse that there's never a day that you don't open InDesign when you're yeah. when you're at work mm-hmm. now what can InDesign do that other programs can't oh wow what mm. can what can't it do yeah uh, new slogan do my laundry <laughs> <laughs> um, i uh i well i started when i first started out i was using quark um yeah. and Hey, at the time, I thought it was awesome. No, no dissing on Quark, but InDesign, like Amy said, and her, I would have answered exactly the same way. It when it came out, it was amazing because it it works hand in hand flawlessly with well, for the most part, with Illustrator and Photoshop. So you can you know you can drag things directly from yeah. one program to the other if you've just you know done some sort of typography that you want to use as an EPS file. You literally just drag it into Illustrator and or vice versa and it you know it works perfectly and it's just it's just so easy same with bridge you know you're looking at a photo you just drag it yeah. in so, so that's just like the multi-platform device to be able to put everything into yeah for sure for sure it's yeah it's built to make multi-page documents and so that's what a book is hey there it is end the show yeah. we're out of here yeah. <laughs> well, the, i mean if uh, how boring do you want us yeah. to get <laughs> as um, boring as you can give it, it well, with, especially when you're when you're laying out a book and and now I think as a freelancer, um, it works differently depending on what client you're working for. But for me, I lay out my own books. So I'm given a manuscript and then I have to take, you know, you start with the concept. So you design each element of the book, like a chapter opener and what the recipe is going to look like. Every And every single tiny aspect of it is given a code or a style that's embedded in Microsoft Word. So when you import um, the document into InDesign, all you set up what are called style sheets. So you give each of those styles um, 
what you want them to look like. You know, I want them to be this big, this color. And then conceivably when you flow it in, it's all supposed to pop in like magic. So that's kind of, you can't do that with say Illustrator, or, you know, Photoshop. Cause yeah. you need, you need to be able to support like a 200 page document, but you know, really like the style sheeting and that kind of stuff is where in design is. Well, Quark had that too, but anyway, <laughs> the beauty of style yeah. sheets, the beauty of style sheets too, is that if you need to change a spec later, like all of a sudden someone decides that, the head font is like too big and needs to be brought down three sizes. If you would set them all manually, you would have to go in and change all of them, but yeah. the style sheets automatically update. It's like cascading style sheets for web designers. Just makes like if you have a clean document and you need to make changes later, it's so much easier. Yeah. It's pretty rad. And then yeah. it seems like a lot of that has to deal more with fonts and text. Are there any tips you would give a photographer um, about how you'll eventually use their image in, in design? Um, I think sometimes photographers wouldn't know that, like, when you set an image full bleed on a page, we have to bleed a quarter or an eighth of an inch around. So giving us room to kind of crop is nice, yeah. um, which can be uncomfortable photographers because they want to be able to crop in camera and know their image is exactly. perfect. But, <laughs> well, I mean, but just pulling back a little bit um, lets us be able to yeah. make things work or no, push things away from the gutter where, it is you know, you wouldn't adjustment. want something to die in the gutter. Yeah, so. I mean, because... Well, I mean, I know that like a 35 millimeter camera often formats at like 812 and your, your most cookbook pages are 8 by 10. So, yeah, there's that one inch on either side that moot. It's just not going to make it if it's full bleed. It's true. Yeah, it's 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 what Amy said. You know, you before you want to be able each person to do what they're good at. And it definitely with photographers, I'm sure when you're shooting a photo and Amy you would know this because she's a photographer herself, but you have like a specific crop in mind. And it does kind of hurt when you have to blow it up. But yeah. sometimes you got to get a sidebar on there. Yeah. And you, need, you know you need room for that type. you got to blow it out a little bit more. Yeah. See, and then after working on a cookbook like Clinton Street and seeing how my images were put into that book, I realized, oh, I can trust somebody else uh, with <laughs> said oh. photos. So, I mean, it, it is great. I think to- even as... Or I think even a simple shift of, like, most of the time we see things in a panoramic view of horizontal, but, like, yeah. most cookbooks are vertical. So, you know, a lot of the images would need to be shot that way. It's, like, even just a simple thing. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know if this is true for you, Amy, but maybe my first three years of photography, I didn't shoot a vertical picture. Yeah, it's unnatural. It feels quite unnatural. But then, you, yeah, you get the hang yeah. of it. Wow, I would never, I wouldn't, that thought wouldn't cross no, my mind. No, I mean, but they I even guess... have, like vertical grips for cameras so it feels more comfortable to shoot it that way but then the majority of you know books and magazines are that way but now with the proliferation of the internet um i'm saying that like it just started proliferate (laughs) i'm saying it like it just started like two months ago like watch out for this internet but the majority of things i see on there because of the format of computer screens are on the horizontal again. Yeah. We actually kind of worried about that for the Serious Eats book because we saw the photography on the website and thought, oh, yeah, oh man, yeah. everything's going to come in horizontally. But I think they actually had someone go out and shoot things separately for the book because all the images are perfectly sized and there's a lot of verticals in there. They're beautiful. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I think, and and sometimes, the, and not to, and I promise I'm not just bringing up the Gwyneth Paltrow book to bring it up <laughs> because I met her Name once. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Because Gwen is listening yeah, right now. Exactly, so, of course, yeah. in all of her free <laughs> hey, time. Hey, and Apple. <laughs> she's my biggest yeah. fan. Yeah, well, Laura t- texted her earlier and said, be sure and tune in. Ellen Silverman shot the ph- ph- uh, photographer of that book. And the reason I'm thinking about it is because sometimes you just get really lucky and you have a photographer who knows what they're doing. They've shot a ton of cookbooks. And so she knows, oh, I'm going to give the designer, you know, eight, 
or 12 giant horizontal full bleeds that she can use for a chapter opener. And, you know, I'm going to give her some a lot of setup shots with just as extra ephemera that she can, you know, use in the front matter or just it's always nice. You know, I, I think that's aside from the fact that she's a, an amazing photographer, when when someone when you're working with someone who knows what they're doing, that makes your job so much easier because you have all the everything you need, all the tools right there to like the end that it just it works seamlessly. So. Yeah, that was true of the Baby Cakes book, too. They did a lot of pre-planning with that. Um, Laura designed that one where they would shoot a whole horizontal shot that was going to be the chapter opener that was a little more spare, but sort of bright colors and just um, room for type. But they planned that out ahead of time. That's um, yeah, true. It's super helpful. And then that was really fun. How often do you find yourself actually planning out ahead or meeting with the photographer before they start shooting? That actually isn't, oftentimes the, the projects come to us and all of that planning is already done ahead of time because the way Clarkson Potter works up, the authors pay for the photography. So mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll hire the photographers and do a lot of that pre-planning with the editor and we come in a little bit later. Um, it's different per book, but oftentimes that's that's something that happens outside of us. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would agree with that. You know, if you... That's if you have a great creative director or art director, and Clarkson Potter has both. You know they're they're making those decisions with the art direct, with the photographer, usually before the shoot happens. But sometimes, like in the case of Clinton Street, I got to meet the authors. So it's it's past the photography, but you know they've already they've already worked with the photographer. So then you get to you know it's nice to be able to hear it straight from the yeah. author. They but, already have their visions. Yeah, I, I was just a, a customer, <laughs> a long time customer. And- I think they're like, we got to get you out of that booth. You want to just do some work? <laughs> well, your first photo yeah. came out pretty good for just a long, because I'm a long time customer yeah. too, and they would not have come yeah. out like that. <laughs> well, actually hoping to have Didi and Neil on the station oh. soon to talk further about that. But, but before we go, because this has already been half an hour, if you guys wow. haven't been, wow. yeah, craziness. Um, covers, they seem to be uh, interesting, you know, extraneous things sometimes outside of the design of a book. What makes a cover special, and how do you go about attacking it? Oh, mm. um, that's it. it. You know, it really depends on the book. I think uh, Amy and I both worked on a book that had was a uh, it's a it was a two part book. One was called Other People's Love Letters, and the other was called Other People's Rejection Letters. And the, you know, it in a book like that, it was a compilation of letters. We got to be really conceptual about the cover. Um, Whereas in a book like Clinton Street, where the bakery already has a logo and beautiful photography, you kind of know I'm gonna I'm gonna put some amazing chocolate chip pancakes on there. Um, so it really it kind of depends on the project that you're working on. You know, um, I don't know, Amy. How do you? What would you say about that? I think yeah, it depends on the project. If there's beautiful photography and it's a cookbook that's all about the beautiful food shot, then you let those sing. Um, I often just try and give a range, like you give what you think is expected and then you want to give a few that are kind of maybe wonker ones. Like for Momofuku's book, there's just, you know, their logo and that wood wood grain. And that's that's the simplicity of that is really catching. Um, so, you, yeah, you want to find something that looks tasty and that will kind of pop off the shelf. And it's it's not just about up to us. Like we meet with the editors ahead of time usually. Like here, when you work in-house, you meet with the editors and your art director and look at all the images and try and see what would work and everybody kind of talks about what they want to see and what they're expecting and then it goes through probably like 20 people look at it and give input on it um so the end result is 
is often an amalgamation of like what everybody kind of wants to see in the cover and what they think would help sell the book. Yeah. Um, I don't want to lose sight of the reference point of Momofuku mm. that, you know, that drew you in just by having that representation. What other covers draw you in? What are some of your favorite cookbook covers? Oh. I think Balthazar is really beautiful all throughout. I love that. That is an amazing, I, I yeah. love everything that Tashin does that breakfast, tea, lunch, just that amazing green cover with the black type. Just awesome. Yeah. The range of stuff they do is amazing. Um, Balthazar, that, that is a good one. Yeah. That actually made me want to be a cookbook photographer oh, randomly. Yeah. Um, because I thought I was going to be a war photographer. Oh, well, there and, and Ron Haviv oh. actually shot a lot of the action of the Balthazar cookbook, who's part of Seven mm-hmm. Photography. I mean, that travel around the world and, you know, photograph uh, conflict. Um, and I'm like, oh, I could be safer in the kitchen. Well, that, that, the interior design of that book, I, that book was being worked on at Potter when I was an assistant. And yeah. seeing that topography made was so inspiring to me. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it holds up, too. That's one beautiful thing yeah. about that book. And that's that, true. That's actually Mateo's yes. work. Mateo amazing. Bologna, who is also on the food scene. Hello, Mateo. You guys <laughs> amazing. <know> you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Muka Design. Yeah. So aside from covers, what interior cookbooks uh, have you found most influential over the past few years? I I love all of the baked cookbooks. I especially love the one that just came out. I think the topography yeah. in that is beautiful. They've Did also, you shoot that? No, no, no. They've also been on the show. <laughs> not not to pat myself well, on the back. Well, you got your but, finger on the pulse. Well, I was <laughs> I'm selfish too because I'm, I was hungry one day, so I invited <laughs> Matt and Renato <laughs> in, and I'm trying to become a better cookbook photographer. Thusly, you two mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah, the baked books are amazing. Yeah, they're pretty yeah. awesome. Um, I think anything that's I really like British cookbooks that are designed in Britain. Like their aesthetic tends to be really, you know, really clean, sort of sans serify, chunky font. Like letting the you know photography really just pop out. I love all of Jamie Oliver's books. I love the yeah. interiors of those books. That matte paper is just amazing. Um, those that, those are probably my my top faves. I think. And Amy, for you. I would say that actually where I draw like the most inspiration for typography is, is in other places, sort of like on the web and looking at poster designers and, you know, like fiction cover designers um, and at restaurants especially because I think of cookbooks as sort of being being an extension of sort of a brand, you know, where you're building a brand for yeah. someone. So, yeah, I think that um, I'm, I wouldn't say that I have a lot of interior favorites, but a lot of just like designer favorites on the web who are doing all kinds of random stuff. Yeah that aren't maybe necessarily related to, to cookbooks. And I'm sure other book covers as well, because we don't want to forget to mention that Amy Osa runs or helps run Cover Spy. Um, yes. Yeah. Which <laughs> Log is on. A network of publishing nerds. And I'm taking this <laughs> verbatim from what you wrote me. Mm-hmm. In New York, D.C., London, Buenos Aires, San Fran, who spy the books people are reading in public and report their findings online. And yeah, we've got a lot of Tumblr followers. People are really into talking about books and the books we see in the world. We started the the blog, me and the girls at Slice Magazine, um, because we didn't want ebooks to take over and not have those beautiful covers to be yeah. seen when you're out in the world. And so we're we're reporting on them and letting everyone know that they're still out there. You don't think Kindles are great looking? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, what we need to do is figure out how to make a holographic screen on the back of wow. the e-reader that you has a book first. cover. Yeah. 
Yeah. I thought you were just going to say bling them out like people do cell phone cases. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that happens too. Oh, really? Oh, God. <laughs> I've seen a few. <laughs> I still like having a cookbook in hand. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the, that's the thing. Like, there's nothing wrong with ebooks because it makes reading more accessible to people. But, like, cookbooks are this item that's so fun to make because it's something that people keep. And, you know, like, your mom probably has the joy of cooking on her shelf from, like, years and years ago. And it's, it's like a family artifact in a way. And we yeah. get to make yes. these things that stick around, which it feels really... Special, keep know? buying cookbooks, everyone. Yeah. Yes, keep buying cookbooks. <laughs> On that note, just wanted to thank the two of you. Your time is up. Oh, thank um, you so much. Amy Sly, Laura Polizzi. Um, I hope everyone takes it to heart. Buy cookbooks. Yeah. Keep it in hand. Exactly. Cook from those cookbooks. And uh, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hope to hear you tune in Tuesday, 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from the Museum of Food and Drink. Dave Arnold and Patrick Martins have gathered a team of New York's most innovative chefs and bartenders to create a nine-course fundraiser lunch at Del Posto, Sunday, March 27th. Their intent? To kickstart the greatest food museum in the world. The menu for this unprecedented event is derived from educational themes of the museum. Chefs will draw inspiration from sources outside their normal sphere. How will a cutting-edge chef handle the Paleolithic, or a dish only using pre-Columbian ingredients? What will a modern Italian chef do with ancient Rome? The chefs include David Chang of Momofuku, Wiley Dufresne of WD-50, Mark Ladner of Del Posto, Nils Noren of the French Culinary Institute, Cesare Casella of Salumeria Rossi, Carlo Maracci of Roberta's, Brooks Headley of Del Posto, and Christina Tozzi of Momofuku Milk Bar. Bartenders include Audrey Sanders of Pegu Club, Thomas Waugh of Death & Company, Simon Ford of Pernod Ricard, Damon Bolte of Prime Meats, and Eben Clem of BR Guest Restaurants. Proceeds from the event will directly support the Museum of Food and Drink. Tickets are very limited and $250 per person. To purchase tickets, please visit mofad.eventbrite.com. That's M-O-F-A-D dot eventbrite.com. Once again, M-O-F-A-D dot E-V-E-N-T B-R-I-T-E dot com. Sponsored by Pernod Ricard, Heritage Foods USA, Pat Lafrida Meats, Barterhouse Wines, Del Posto Restaurant. I think part of the sourcing process to me is the most exciting because you, you know, you rent a car and you drive through the south of France and, you know, you obviously have some appointments set up, but, you know, some of the most exciting things happen when you're just kind of winging it and you meet a farmer at you know, a wine fair and he's, you know, he says, well, come back to my, come back to my estate and you're not quite sure where you're going and you follow a guy in a Peugeot you know, up a rambling hill, and all of a sudden you, you come across either a castle or a, like a shack in the woods, and the guy's making wine out of a, the back of his, you know, house, or he could be making wine out of a major estate. You know, looks are deceiving, but you, you want to you want to assume that someone with a very established chateau is making good wine, but nine times out of ten, the guy out of the garage who's like super passionate 
is making these better wines and they're maybe more, more rustic and less polished. So to me, like the restaurateur, the sommelier, this story resonates with them about the small farmer, you know, the guy who's making wine um, on small quantities, 80 cases, 100 cases. Those are the things exciting to Barterhouse that, and hopefully the things exciting to our clients.